pleasure to have Catherine Topping Sly on the podcast today with me. Thank you so much for joining me, Catherine. Thank you I, for having um, me, Nicole. Yeah, I found you on Instagram actually, and I just felt this real sense of, oh, no resonance, I suppose is the word. Um, someone who's pretty much doing what I'm doing, same kind of thing, um, mm -hmm. counseling and couple therapy work. And I just really like, I got a really nice feel and pretty much that, that was, that was all I needed to sort of reach out and say, Hey, do you want to chat? <laughs> but I also oh, really loved, that's lovely to hear. yeah, I really loved um, what I saw on, on your feed around, you know, really engaging with your, with your community around um, getting them to tell you what was going on in this, their sex life and, after kids and stuff. And I know you've got this work book that you've developed, so we can talk a bit, a bit about that. But what I'd love is for you to um, maybe share where you're based and um, a little bit about yourself so that we can get to know you. Yeah, cool. So we're on um, opposite sides of the planet, aren't we? We are. I'm, um, yeah. I'm in the UK on the south coast of England in a place called Brighton and Hove. And um, yeah, same as you, I work with, well, I work with individuals as well um, mm. and couples and I yep. do, um, but, you know, mostly focused around relationship stuff. I mean, I think most therapy sooner or later ends up being about relationships anyway, doesn't it? I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I do, um, yeah, I do counseling and coaching um, and I've got a special interest in the transition to parenthood. So mm. that's something that I talk about a lot on Instagram. And then of course that's kind of become my niche and I've worked more and more with clients who are in that phase of life because Wonderful. it can be such a different, such a, a challenging transition. Absolutely. And I really don't think that we talk about it enough. So it was lovely to hear what you were saying about, you know, engaging my audience around mm. particularly about sex after kids, because I think relationships after kids generally is a bit of a taboo in our culture, but sex yeah. after kids, I mean, nobody talks about it. It's so, so silent, so silent, it, which is and, so hard because it's extremely common to struggle with it. You know, it's mm -hmm. so common, that it's, you know, it's very, very rare not to. And yet it's, it can feel so isolating if nobody's talking about it. It's nearly easier for us to joke about it, isn't it? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. well, no one's getting sex. Oh, I don't know. Like a, you can nearly imagine it at the pub with yeah. the lads or with the girlfriends but mm -hmm. not actually really talking about it in a useful way, really. Yeah, definitely. Sensing. And there's, there's something kind of implied in the joking about it that it just is what it is, right? Yeah. And so... There's nothing you can, you can do about it. About it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, finding a way back together, that's something that isn't really talked about. Is there anything we can do about it? So it can leave people feeling pretty hopeless, I think. Mm. Totally but agree. There's really, loads you can do about it. Yeah, well, let's get into that. But um, I'd love to hear how this became a special interest for you. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, actually. I kind of did my journey, I think, a little bit in reverse because um, so I've been with my husband for 18 years now. And when we'd been together for about four or five years, um, we went through a period of having quite a lot of conflict and, you know, we really loved each other and we really knew that we wanted to be together. But for us, the really difficult bit was making that transition of making the commitment and settling down. Mm. Um, and we could kind of, we sort of knew that we both wanted to do it, but we weren't quite sure how we wanted to do it or when. And, and so we went through a phase of having, yeah, quite a lot of conflict. And we um, went and saw a couples counsellor at that point. Um, so this was quite unusual for couples counselling. I mean, it's becoming a lot more common now. Mm. But at that point, I must have been only about 23. Whereas your sort of typical image of the couple that goes for counselling is kind of later down the line, sort of 40s, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm all for, please listen to this if you're 23 and come um, <laughs> do it. Do and it. the first the sign, it, it is so much more beneficial and 
yeah, yeah. I mean, the things that you learn and the changes that you make, yeah. they stay with you for life. So yeah. the sooner you do it, the longer you get the benefit. And with any relationship as well, like. Yeah, definitely. On with that relationship. Yeah. Mm. So that, that, was, know, that, was, that was pretty wise then going at 23 well it was actually my husband's idea he wow. was the one yeah no, yes. we were, you know we were really we were just rowing a lot and you know we went we, we went through a phase with sort of where we're going to split and and he just said I think that we should try and talk to someone mm. and I mean we were both terrified I remember it so well the first time we went we just yeah. like neither eat anything before we went we turned up absolutely starving two hours after we would normally have our dinner because we were so nervous um but that that therapist that therapy we did 10 weeks that completely changed my life wow it was Amazing. amazing he was so brilliant he was so funny he was so light-hearted. It was nothing like what I feared it would be like mm. really helped us to see that we could take it to completely different attitude to you know those kind of perpetual problems the things that are just they're not going to change they're not going to go away you know still to this day he likes to think that I'm messy of course I'm not messy not in my world <laughs> I don't think I'm messy at all you know these problems they don't go away but it's all about our attitude isn't it and about yeah. how how we approach each other and how we see them and and, um, you know, it, it changed my life in a big way because I worked out how to make a long-term relationship work Yeah. in a way that I don't think, I, I just don't think that I could have done it. I don't think I had the skill set or mm -hmm. the attitude until I had what I think of as a kind of a bit of a training in it, you know? Yeah. And I think we um, kind of need a training. Yeah, I mean, well, why, would, yeah. why would we, unless you had, you know, amazing models when you were growing up, which I think most of us didn't, why would we know how to do long-term Because not, most of our models haven't had any training. Like, everyone's yeah. just winging it. It's the blind leading the blind, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 So, okay. um, yeah, you know, I, I thought, okay, maybe I could do that, actually. That would be a pretty oh. cool job. <laughs> and, um, yeah, a few years down the line... I was, um, I got started. That's so cool. What a great story. Yeah. So we, um, after that, we got engaged um, quite soon after that, after we finished that therapy. And then we got married and we had a couple of kids. And then during those years, um, when we were having our children, I started my training. Mm. Um, and so the, the transition when we had kids for us, you know, it was still tough it was there was still a lot of stuff to work out uh you know there's still stuff to work out to this day the um yeah. you know the particularly you know the stuff around the mental load and, and the division of the domestic labor you know you, i don't think that you sort that out and then you're done and so i mean maybe i don't know if i've ever met a couple that i just happily sorted it out right at the beginning and now they're fine you know because things keep changing with kids don't they oh my gosh yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's we, ongoing. Really thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that that couple therapy that we had then gave us amazing grounding. Mm. Um, and when I see so many couples going through that transition and really, really struggling with it, you know, we had our struggles, but by that point we had learned what we needed to learn. I think to have the right communication to get us through it, to keep turning yeah. back towards each other rather than away from each other. Yeah. So I just wanted really to support couples in that particular phase to, because I think, yeah, I think there's something, there's something about my personality that I'm quite drawn to things that are a bit taboo. I think mm. if nobody's, if nobody's talking about it enough, I've got a bit of a feeling of, well, we need to start a conversation. We need to talk. It. Yeah. I, I really loved that about, you know, the stories and the questions you were asking and, and mm -hmm. the minute you got some feedback from someone in your community, you kept exploring that line. Um, you know, so if they said, I I'm not having sex now because my body's changed, you know, you really explored, okay, do you feel this too? And you'd get so much information and feedback there. It's great. Yeah, it's I think people explore. find it really, really comforting. Even just those mm -hmm. those tiny little polls that we put on Instagram stories that it's mm -hmm. just somebody tapping yes or no. Mm -hmm. You know, just to see, oh, a whole bunch of people actually tapped, yes, I struggle with this too. Yeah. Brings people a lot of comfort. Yeah. So what is it 
that makes it so hard, do you reckon, this, this phase after, after having kids? Obvi- well, I mean, right. the, it's obvious. Obviously, there's <laughs> no time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right from the start, it's just it's such a shock, isn't it? I always think it's not really fair that you have to do that first year of looking after the baby and deal with the kind of complete fallout and identity shift at the same time. You should have, there should be a way that you can somehow not do them both at once. Obviously that's ridiculous, but you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's like identity shift on a personal level. Like you might've been a career person or had interests or whatever, or friends, social life, you know, party girl, whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's personal, but it's also relationship identity shift. I mean, it's not even an identity shift, but it is, but it's, that, like you say, it's that complete overhaul of systems and yeah. um, the load. I mean, it's so different to look at the person who up until now was maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend, your husband or wife. You know, they were just, they were just for you, weren't they? They were your partner in crime. Your, what you did mm. most of the time was just try and have fun together. And then suddenly you're looking at them and their mom or dad, like, what does that mean? And what do, what ideas do you carry with you about what, what a mom is or what a dad is? And then, I mean, I remember actually saying to my husband, like, it sort of feels like actually we should have thought who would be the best business partner for me to mm. do this with. Like I was actually saying it to him in quite a nice way. Like I'm quite glad that me and you work quite well as business partners. Right. But it doesn't. It doesn't always go that well, and it doesn't always feel like that. But it's and, not uh, all about um, how great they are in bed and yeah. how hot they are when you see them at the bar. <laughs> exactly, and those are There's the things a whole in the lot beginning. Not going that's what we that's what we base relationships on right from the start isn't it it comes down to just you know how attractive do I find this person and then down the line you find yourself having to make so many decisions and they're all joint decisions so in the beginning you could be a bit more like you do your thing and I'll do mine but then once you've got a kid it's like well how are we going to do how are we going to do this? How are we going to feed this baby? Where's the baby going to sleep? Whose parents are going to come when? And you can't just, you do your thing and uh, I'll do mine. You have to compromise. You have to find yeah. ways through. And that's when it starts to often highlight some mismatches in values, which yeah. can be really painful because when we realize that someone we love has different values to us, even, even just slightly different, we can start questioning our own. We can start questioning whether they're right for us. You yeah. know, it, it it's that really doubt that gets, that gets, makes things really tricky too, isn't it? It's like mm. that little seed of doubt. But I just want to go back to what you were saying about not having considered them as mum or dad and that that does change things. Like it's actually not something that I feel affected me all that much. Like, I, mm. I, I don't know when you did your polls, like, what percentage did you find were affected by that? Um... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, um, but I would say that uh, it it isn't one of the more common problems right. um, to, to really struggle with that. You know, lots of people do find that that can be a, a very positive thing to feel yeah. like oh, wow, this is so amazing. Like, you know, this now, now they're the mother or father of my child as well. You know, there's yeah. often a thing that it really adds something. Um, I think it can depend a lot on kind of how the relationship was before. And like you mentioned, the, um, you know, kind of seeing them as the hot person in the bar and then the, the, the stuff that you carry with you, you know, I think some of us feel freer perhaps to integrate the idea of, you know, being a kind of mum by day and then there's some, someone kind of sexier by night. Yeah. Um, yeah, but some people struggle a lot hats. more to integrate that. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, for people who struggle to integrate that more, I think it can be really, really difficult because it's a hard thing to talk about. Yes. Also, when, when I was kind of reflecting, I don't feel like that's a big, that was a big deal for me. What I did land on was, but if my husband ever calls me you know how sometimes they're Mm -hmm. they're like mummy's doing this and if he ever calls me mummy I like something flicks inside me and I'm like don't you dare (laughs) it just 
irks me in all the wrong mm. ways. Like, do not call me mummy. And that, I suppose, is a, it's about the same thing. It's like, yeah, definitely. I'm their mummy, but I ain't yours. Like, yeah, there's a line. A hundred percent. And you know, that might be part of why it hasn't felt like too much of a trouble for you because that right, line is yeah. so clear to you and you've got that awareness of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That awareness in the line in disgust. Like it's like, no, but I, I see other, <laughs> other parents do that. Like quite happily, like mommy, mm-hmm. daddy, you know, like, no. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Funny. So funny. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, you, you were kind of in the middle of a flow and I think I, I brought you back, but you were talking about the difficulties of, of this phase in relationships. Yeah, I think yeah, it's such I mean, a great you know, niche, actually. It's very similar to my own niche. My, my niche is rekindling mm-hmm. term relationships, not mm-hmm. specifically after kids, probably a bit later, actually. I'm like... Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's wonderful. That's such a great niche because, you know, often I think in long-term relationships, we can get to a place of maybe starting to accept things that we don't really want to just thinking like, this this is how it is. And, and feeling like the option at this point is like, just kind of live with this person and be okay with it or split. So that's just such lovely work that you're doing it to, to yeah. help people yeah. to see that, you know, you can fall in love again. You can, yeah. you can, you can have many honeymoons over the years. Totally. Yeah. Mm. So many opportunities and so much you can do, I find as well. So sorry, mm-hmm. I interrupted you again. So yeah. <laughs> and anything else you wanted to add to that kind of. Yeah. I mean, piece. you know, it's just, it's just the stresses of family life, isn't it? Because at isn't the beginning, it? you know, we've got the sleep deprivation and the recovery yeah. from childbirth and, and pregnancy and learning to feed and, and the drop in sexual desire that often comes with hormones. Yeah. Um, so that can kind of make things take a big plunge. But then it's really hard to bring it back from there because obviously then, you know, you fall in love with your baby, you're, you're dealing with this, like you were saying about, you know, having so much less time, you know, it's not just less time, is it? We have less privacy, less freedom, less money and all the stresses that that can bring with it. We're not getting as much sleep. It's harder to get as much conversation. You know, we're getting Mm -hmm. interrupted all the time. It's very common for that to then lead into less feelings of closeness intimacy less touch and then ultimately less sex and the thing about having less sex is that if both partners are fine about it then it's absolutely fine yeah but it's that's it's very rarely rare. the case yeah it's a rare situation usually one or both partners is not happy about it and it does tend to lead to emotional disconnection yeah because you know if one partner isn't happy about it then they'll quite what will quite often happen is either conflict over it which can be so painful and upsetting or turning away from each other trying not to talk about it trying not to face it hoping it will go away or get better by itself and both are kind of the result of it being such a tricky topic right yeah yeah I mean it's, it's so hard to talk about you know most of us just don't have the language really yeah you know, and and it it's hard to talk about because we need to we need to kind of lean into our vulnerability in order to talk about all difficult stuff with our partners. But particularly around sex, I mean, sex is just such a vulnerable topic. Yeah, and often the conversations that we need to have are around um, initiating sex and yeah. rejection. Yeah, I mean. The, there's not much more vulnerable place than that, is there? Yeah. And, and this sort of pressure spiral that can be created from that one partner having a higher libido than the other, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it's so tricky. Yeah. And um, I think often it's, it's we, we can start to get a, a feeling that one partner has a higher libido than the other when a lot of it is actually circumstantial. I mean, there usually is a, a bit of a mismatch in, in libido. You know, it's mm. rare to find two people who want exactly the same amount of sex. Yeah. But because of the way that men, generally speaking, tend to experience desire more spontaneously, mm-hmm. and 
women tend to experience it more responsively. So they tend, you know, men, I'm I'm obviously generalizing. This is not, you know, doesn't apply to everyone at all. Um, But generally speaking, men will tend to just find, you know, they'll maybe see something that reminds them of something sexy and then they'll find themselves thinking, oh, quite fancy a shag. That'd be nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Whereas for women, it's more common to only really want sex when things that they find sexy, like kissing and cuddling are already already happening. So often women will particularly in this phase of life where they're looking after young children if you've got a relatively traditional setup where she's doing more of the childcare, mm. she'll be looking after the children and she'll find herself kind of feeling tired maybe resentful and then what will happen is that dad will come home and he'll experience desire quite spontaneously. So he sees her and he thinks, Oh, you know, my lovely partner, I would just absolutely love to feel really connected with her right now by having sex with her. Yeah. And she responds to him like, seriously (laughs) now like this (laughs) and will tend to just reject because what she needs often is to feel that emotional connection first. And so she won't realize that what he's looking for is emotional connection, but he's trying to get there the best way that he knows how. Totally. And she'll think he just wants to get off and it doesn't feel personal. It doesn't feel intimate. And she hasn't, she hasn't had what she needs in order to start wanting it. And she turns him away quite quickly. And this can create a really painful cycle because if you seek emotional connection through sex, then being rejected it means a lot more than not now thanks it it can feel like you don't want to be close to me then and I feel like so much of this is I I love the way you described that cycle actually that I I just feel like there were everyone listening is just going to be nodding along going "Uh uh (laughs) uh-huh it's pretty familiar right but um Mm. I feel like so much of that is this is going to sound like a cliche, but is the patriarchy as well. It's like our sex, Western sexuality, in, in, again, generalizing is, is so masculinized in a way. And in, in a yeah. way it's like people are expected to have that kind of a sexuality to mm-hmm. see their partner and spontaneously yeah erupt into desire (laughs) yeah because we live in a culture that thinks of whatever is the most common male experience as the default yeah so women are growing up in a world where they're experiencing themselves as other and they're thinking the way that i am must be wrong because it's different yeah yeah and then that definitely leads into it feeling really difficult for women then to start a conversation about what they actually need in order to want sex again totally. because they they just you know it we don't talk about this stuff enough so it's not actually common knowledge that yeah. most women need a good 20 to 30 minutes sometimes longer of talking holding kissing cuddling yeah. whatever works for them before preferably non-directly like sexual Yes, exactly. Feeling that lovely intimacy. You know, there's obviously there's loads of exceptions and there are exceptions even for individual women as well. So Mm -hmm. for lots of women, when they're early in a relationship, they don't need as much of this because there's something about that newness. And also for lots of women, there's a hormonal element of this as well. So many women might find that they experience spontaneous desire once or twice a month around the time that they're ovulating. The rest of the time, they need much more warming up. Yeah. But because we don't talk about this stuff enough, if, we, if you don't know it, then how are you going to ask for it? All you yeah. think is, I don't really have much libido. Yeah. You think, when he tries it on with me, I'm not interested. Yeah, and if, if you've already made yourself, if you've made yourself wrong already, mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very vulnerable place to ask mm-hmm. wrong, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other things that we need to ask for can be hard to ask for as well. 
So, you know, particularly in that phase of life with kids, you know, we need time and space to do things that make us feel like ourselves again. It's mm. really hard to make the switch from just giving, 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 and, you know, being there in your tracksuit bottoms and your messy barn where you haven't washed your hair for a few days. Not to, feeling all that sexy. <laughs> yeah, to turn around to suddenly be like, oh, yeah, now I'm feeling really sexy. You know, you, you need time to yourself. And the other thing that is a massive mood killer is resentment. So actually a sense of fairness, a more equal distribution of the tasks that need doing for the the children in the home is one of the really important things that a lot of women need as well. But it it gets into, you, you know, we need to be looking at these things from all angles in order to make the change that we need to start to feel sexual again. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's really hard, isn't it? Because it's hard when you've been socialized to think of others needs and you're spending your days meeting them, you know, to believe that we're worthy of asking for what we Mm. need. And then like you were saying to lean into that vulnerability to ask for it is hard, especially if, there's been conflict around this stuff in the past yeah and there's so much hurt Mm. with the rejected party Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean I was stuck in that cycle post kids actually I really needed you then (laughs) Mm -hmm. you and your workbook probably would have have done some great things Um, (laughs) (laughs) I ended up um you really losing connection with my body Mm. and my nervous system was not happy with me and Mm -hmm. it became very stressful. Um, You know, my husband would reach for me and I'd actually have anxiety. Mm. Um, It can get quite bad, you know, and I have, I have clients like in that state now where they just have actually have to sort of, really get boundaried mm. and, and really know themselves and mm-hmm. their yes and their no as a kind of for their for their own systems but that mm-hmm. can be really hard when there's still that that hurt and that rejection and that pressure over over there yeah and all the ideas that we're carrying about what it means to be a good mom mm. and, and you know thinking that that the the answer to that is some kind of absolute selflessness which of course it's not it's not at all doesn't do our kids any any good at all you know it's really really important to be selfish but boundaries i hate the fact that selfish is considered a negative term i think selfish just should be a completely neutral term because you know of course there's toxic kinds of selfishness but for the most part it's a very healthy thing to put yourself first yeah all about those boundaries that you mentioned yeah so what what do you recommend for um for for women say they're listening along and they're like oh my god that cycle Mm -hmm. that's me like what can Mm -hmm. i do (laughs) well definitely check out my workbook (laughs) because uh it takes you through all of this stuff um it gets you to do a really deep dive you know to really understand the patterns that that I've just been talking about and you know the challenge of going from being co-parents by day to lovers by night Um, and it's got bits in it about how you can take a mindful approach to sex you know to get yourself out of your head and back into your body because that's Mm. another thing that happens is that it can be so difficult when you're carrying the mental load and you've got that to-do list and you get in bed at night and you're just thinking about all the things that need sorting out for tomorrow and everything that the kids need, you know, to get back into your body and, and actually have really pleasurable sex mm. um, can be a challenge, but, but we can do it through mindfulness. Yeah, um, it definitely doesn't happen up there in the um, rumination and in the to-do list, does it? It's, uh, no, I mean, you're just completely disconnected from what's going yeah, on. Yeah, it's not going to be if, When you're in that place, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and it also includes a lot of stuff to help with starting a conversation around sex. Yeah. Um, one I, thing that I find on my Instagram that I get a lot of lovely feedback from is when I post examples of actually how to say things. 
Yeah, right. Because sometimes it can be so hard. So I put a whole bunch of examples in there. Because mm. I think that that probably is one of the top things that we need, we do need to do around this to improve the situation is to get more conversation going. Yeah. yeah. Um, and whether you can manage to do that as just the two of you, or whether you want to do that with the support of a therapist, just yeah. getting that conversation started. I think that couples tend to either, like you said before, either shy away from this topic or just have conflict. Like it's like they're so stressed about talking about it that they're, mm-hmm. they're doing the harsh startups, like Goldman says. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's just like, bang, we're, we're in conflict because it's mm-hmm. this topic. It's like nearly like some wiring in their brain that takes them straight there or something. Um, mm-hmm. So it is... Yeah, so- thing to talk about gently yeah 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 and I suppose that has to happen when they're calm (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know like 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 you've got there with some maybe some scripts some ideas of how to get into that type of conversation in a way that is not going to trigger their partner immediately and get them Mm -hmm. Defensive. Yeah, I mean, choosing your moment is so important, isn't it? You, so many rows can be avoided by just doing the quick check, first of all. Is anybody mm-hmm. in a really bad mood? Or is anybody mm-hmm. feeling insecure right now? And I think mm-hmm. we can assume that anybody who's just been rejected is probably feeling pretty insecure. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't leave so, you feeling great, does it? So that wouldn't be a great moment for this mm-hmm. kind of conversation, would it? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so choosing your moment carefully is really important yeah yeah and then like you were saying about that kind of that soft startup you know starting really gently because i mean the gottman research into that is incredible isn't it what is it is it 96 percent of conversations start go on as they begin i mean yeah i mean it's something like that isn't it nearly a (laughs) hundred yeah it's hard it's hard to turn things around once it goes in that direction you just think oh here we go again Yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like um, one of my favorites at the moment is, do you mind if I start that again? <laughs> that's, mm. not bad, that's not a bad yeah, one. Yeah. Because sometimes one. you don't realize the way it's coming out or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we all do it all the time, don't we? Even yeah. people like you and me who help people with this stuff certainly doesn't oh. mean that you're perfect communicator in your own marriage at all does it oh my goodness let's just let's just draw a line and highlight that one because it's really easy to to still be able to guide and help people but get when you're triggered in your own in your own emotional stuff mm-hmm. very different story yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah, yeah no, so I'm, I'm actually perfect i never ever <laughs> say anything terrible to my husband <laughs> i'm sure you are nicole <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, sometimes things take a turn, to, turn for the worse, don't they? And they get heated. And, and I think we have to be really aware of that and make sure that mm-hmm. we take a break when it happens. You know, recognize that it is going to happen sometimes. But the yeah. worst thing we can do when we're both getting angry with each other or getting really stressed is to just carry on, you know, just yeah. to take that break but make sure you come back to it and try and have a kind of you and me against the problem attitude. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Cause I think there's something around this topic that mm. it tends to become a thing of blaming. I don't know whether it's mm. something about particularly in heterosexual relationships, that kind of difference between men and women and mm. how they're approaching it, but it does seem to lead in down that finger pointing path perhaps more than any other topic like no, it's because of what you're doing or not doing oh man I feel like you know um I remember reading Esther Perel say that she reckons that homosexual couples do it really well because they're pretty much Mm -hmm. negotiating everything from the get-go everything's Mm. on the table there's no assumptions there's no assumptions whereas we are like just walking down a path of assumptions and presumptions yeah. and shoulds mm-hmm. and expectations. Yeah. And so many of them are not even conscious. And that's part, part that's of the right. thing that's really hard about having kids, I think, is that you, you just don't realize until, because on some level you're carrying this idea of like, this is what a dad does. And yeah. then you 
have a kid and your partner does it differently or you do it differently and you're like but of course that's what a dad does and they're like that's not what a dad does dad does this (laughs) and you're like no but you're wrong both looking at each other like how can you possibly think that because you've just been carrying this assumption all this time without I mean what else would bring it to light other than becoming a dad and and you're so right like there's no actual way of really testing for this like until until you're there unless you Mm. are I mean you can try and tease this out with communication Mm -hmm. and I think even then I mean you're not going to cover everything in the practice isn't it exactly and then without communicating about it like if you're not communicating you're going to be building resentment probably Mm -hmm. yeah or having a lot of conflict i imagine or who knows yeah Mm. very very tricky it definitely comes out one way or another doesn't it yeah Mm. yeah oh wow yeah you're just really helping me shine a light on this this phase and the the parenting the early parenting days Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's a tough time, isn't it? Mm. It's tough and it's also so rewarding, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, it is. I mean, there's so many wonderful things about it. I always, um, you know, sometimes I give talks about what to expect in the, in the transition mm, nice. to pregnant people and I, or, or couples who are expecting. And I always have to be very careful that I'm balancing it out because obviously my, the reason I'm there is to help prepare them and to help them think ahead about some of the relationship challenges and what they might do about it. But you really don't want to say to people who are expecting, so this terrible thing might happen and this terrible <laughs> thing might happen. You know, so I always it's have to balance it out with lots, of, yeah, lots of stuff about how wonderful it is. Because it is, I mean, it's such an amazing thing to, to fall in love together with this third person. You know, yes. it, it's incredible. That you created... Yeah. And to have the opportunity, you know, obviously there are those, sometimes there are those difficult bits about mismatches and values in values and expectations, but the bits where your values really match up and the bits where you manage to find a compromise that works for you both around that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's so lovely to be able to, you know, raise children, showing them your worldview and, Mm. and, you know, seeing how they react to it and what theirs is and and then re- readjusting it all and thinking you know it, it's just so ex- it expands your world so much doesn't it and so expansive experience with a partner that you love is incredible yeah. yeah and i think you're right it's like it is actually the getting through those challenges really that mm. like anything make you stronger together and yeah i mean the connection it is, it's so much deeper isn't it once yeah. once you've resolved this kind of stuff yeah amazing is there anything else you wanted to share with us i i i want to ask you a really self-indulgent question but first i want to <laughs> <laughs> i'm very curious about your question now nico <laughs> first i want to just see if there's anything else you want to tell us about your your workbook or about the idea of um yeah, this, uh, this whole phase of parenting, of, of marriage relationships after... after I think there's probably just one, one other pattern that it would be really helpful to talk about. Because I was thinking about what you said about, uh, you know, people nodding along about that pattern around sex. Yeah. Um, and how comforting it is to hear, oh, this is a thing that happens. You know, this isn't just, mm. just us. Um, and so there's another pattern that I find that when I talk about people really respond to it, they find it very comforting. And, and it's also related because it's about how we deal with stress. And obviously becoming a parent is one of the very stressful things. But, you know, there's a lot of stress around having children and bringing them up. And, and there's stress around living through a global pandemic, isn't there? To, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> to, to just play it down a little bit. <laughs> and, um, you know, most couples are made up of two people who deal with stress differently. Um, so that there does tend to be one who seeks togetherness and one who seeks space when they feel under stress. Yeah, such a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you, you work with couples who are dealing with this kind of thing all the time, don't you? Mm. And, and generally it tends to be the woman who is the one who more seeks togetherness. There's obviously loads of couples where it runs the other way. And sometimes you get two togetherness seekers or two space seekers, but, but the, the very common dynamic is, is to have the woman who tends to be the one who brings up issues and, and she wants to talk things through and work them out. Mm-hmm. And she can find her partner wanting space makes her feel quite anxious and abandoned and sometimes try even harder to be heard, maybe even becoming critical. Mm-hmm. And, and her partner can quite often seem not that interested in talking about issues or maybe like they don't take them seriously. But actually, it's just because, you know, they get anxious, too. But they tend to just want physical and emotional stress at uh, stress space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't want physical and emotional stress. They're responding to that stress by wanting space. And yes, you know, if this is a person who isn't that open at the best of times under stress, they might actually shut down. Mm. Um, and this can create another one of those really painful patterns that it it can feel very personal. You know, it yeah. can it's it's hard if you don't recognize that this is a coping mechanism for dealing with difficult times, it can be hard not to think like, Oh, my partner is just so needy and demanding or why do they have to be so emotionally unavailable and to feel like it's a rejection of you in some way or a criticism of you. Um, So that's just another thing that I like to always make people aware of that recognizing Mm. this pattern and once you're aware that actually we're just both trying to cope with the difficult things that we're going through in life, then again, it becomes about communication that you can talk about it. You can say, Hey, do you think we might be doing that thing? Or, you know, actually I just need to go and calm down for 20 minutes, but I'll come back and talk to you when I'm feeling better Mm. to be able to actually talk about our process rather than just acting it out. It's so useful. So, So nice. And such relief. Just the thought that mm-hmm. this is how they cope with stress. Mm-hmm. This is not about me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Just that I think is is really powerful and helpful. And um, and then I think it, it it just allows this little crack of light in for for a bit of compassion, a bit of empathy, a bit of un- deeper understanding mm. of. Mm. Hey, so what? what would help you here or yeah Mm -hmm. yeah compassion is just so so important isn't it and Mm. can often become I think it gets we the more hurt we feel the harder we find it to be compassionate I think absolutely it's so true Mm. yeah and I think um yeah it's it's very hard as well if we find compassion hard for ourselves as well like we're often Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole other conversation though so yeah mm. but it's it, it is related isn't it it's like if I can't yeah definitely. be gentle with myself I'm always harsh and the disciplinarian for myself I'm going to be probably reflecting that mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure mm. thank you so much I really I really appreciate those um those cycles and and i i really think that they are so relatable and Mm -hmm. and like you said they're they're generalization um uh the majority probably but even if you're not in them i think you can relate and find Mm. find something that's maybe makes you feel like you're not entirely alone in, Mm -hmm. in what's going on so yeah super helpful yeah it's a big part of my motivation in doing you know this work online rather than just in the consulting room is to really help people to feel less alone in this stuff beautiful absolutely so yeah i will um i will share with people where they can find you but yes my self-indulgent question are you ready for it (laughs) (laughs) i've actually i'm going to be um publishing my book very shortly and it's about uh, it's about it's not exactly about relationships but it's very much um well it is like many chapters are directly about relationships it's called the beauty load and it's Mm -hmm. like the mental load but I feel like as women we feel the beauty load we're constantly checking am I pretty enough am I enough 
and that's um, such a brilliant idea thank you and i i wanted to ask you about this because i saw some of your maybe feedback you had in your stories mm-hmm. did come back to not feeling attractive after mm. babies my body has changed i i just don't feel as as beautiful therefore don't feel like sex and i just i, I have a bit about this in my book but i just wanted to yeah ask you what you thought it's tough about isn't that. it yeah. because we live in a really porn saturated culture and like you say a patriarchy so we as women feel you know it very it's very clear to us from a young age we're the objects they're the subjects of the sexual, men are the subjects of the sexual story and women are the objects. And that can make women feel so much pressure to present ourselves in a certain way. And then your whole sex life can kind of revolve around your own sense of attractiveness. And it can start to feel like a performance that you need Mm. to look a certain way for, which is actually devastating Mm. to think of it only ever being that much Mm. because really what we're looking for with sex is a an intimate connecting experience you know we have sex because it feels good it's sensory Yeah. yeah it's about being in our bodies and and sharing that having that connection sharing that with your partner that you don't share with anybody else and it's one thing that's really sad about it when women get into that situation is that again it's a bit of a vicious cycle because if you don't have sex because you don't feel attractive enough then you're missing out on one of the most wonderful things that sex gives to you which Mm. is to really enjoy being in your body and Mm. feel that pleasure and enjoy the amazing thing of having the senses that we have and being able to enjoy that sensory experience that actually can in itself be quite healing of that that kind of um, pain around your sense of your inadequacy of your own appearance. You know, actually feeling how wonderful, how much pleasure you can feel in your body yeah. can be one of the things that makes you feel good about your body again. Amazing, yeah. I mean, it... it, it like you say, it's kind of healing that objectification mm-hmm. within our, within. It's a reclaiming, you know, isn't it? Reclaiming, exactly. Coming yeah. from within rather than yeah. looking from without. Yeah. Yeah. It is really sad actually. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. I really love that perspective, um, but I, I noticed a lot of women on your polls were mentioning it. It's mm-hmm. it is very common. It, I mean, I know it myself, like, you know, that post baby body, you're like, mm-hmm. who would want to have sex with this? Who would find this yeah. attractive? Um, you know, and we're, and we're just so, uh, I don't know, programmed to think of slim and no extra chubbiness as attractive. Yeah, that Western beauty ideal that now with the technology has become something that literally nobody actually looks like. It's literally not even real. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, it, it just kind of perpetuates this getting stuck in our head and not descending down into the body where the pleasure is. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think um, it's one of those things that you, you kind of have to make a decision that you're not going to let it hold you back. If you're going yeah. to, if you're going to heal from it, if you're going to get into having sex that feels good. Yeah. You know, that I'm not, you know, maybe this is going to make sex difficult for me and maybe I'm going to have to do it in the dark and I'm going to ask my partner not to touch me in certain places. And you know, mm-hmm. that there might be things that you need to do in order to feel safe enough to emotionally safe enough to to have sex but that that probably will be the first step on the path back to feeling okay about doing it again that that, you know the longer you avoid it the the situation isn't changing to back to that healing 
So, so mm. I, I'm kind of hearing you say it's extremely courageous. Mm, you know? God, yeah, 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 exactly. It's like a leap you, of faith in a way. It's like, mm-hmm. Let's see how yeah. this goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing about it is not just um, the experiencing the, the physical pleasure, but also experiencing that loving connection with your partner and how much actually they do still massively enjoy having sex with you. Yeah. That can be healing as well. That you know, yes. as long as you keep holding back from doing it, then you're going to keep thinking that you're not attractive enough to do it. But once you do it, and they they have a great time too, then you think, oh, okay, actually, yeah, they do still want to have sex with me. I really thank you for your answer there. It's, um, I think again, it's a relief to hear that mm. other women think about this or. Mm, so struggle much. with all, it because all I women think, I think because when we don't share this stuff I feel like we can really personalize it and go that mm. it's because of the way I look or what's wrong mm-hmm. with me thank you so much Catherine I've really enjoyed chatting to you I, I love making Same connections with, with people across the sea so much fun um so can you, I'm going to put um, things in the show notes for people to find you, but could you tell people where they could find you? Yeah, that would be great. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Insight and Connection. Beautiful. Yeah, and then you can find um, links to the workbook and other resources in the link in my bio there. Oh, perfect. Wonderful. That, that work, workbook does sound amazing. So yeah, I reckon everyone should go jump on that. Um, oh, thank you yeah it's been yeah. exciting to start getting some feedback from people who've been having a look through it already it's only been out a few, a few days and I've already been hearing some oh, great things wow. that's really exciting wonderful wonderful and some some I think I read that you have some journal prompts there that could possibly be done as a couple as well which I think mm-hmm. is a great, a great idea yeah, I wrote it, um, you know, very deliberately so that you can work through it on your own or with a partner if you prefer, whatever you prefer, yeah. because, um, you know, I know that starting these conversations can be difficult and there's a lot of private stuff going on and often people want to just reflect on their own first and not feel, oh, this book's going to tell us that we have to do something that I don't want to do or, you know, yeah. th- there can be worries around that. But I think that when once people have looked through it and worked through it on their own, they quite often will want to talk to their partners about quite a lot of it. Mm. yeah or going through and doing it together right from the start would be amazing too yeah depends where you're at mm-hmm. yeah wonderful well thank you so much Catherine. and um yeah all the best with all your work popping these thank you thank people. you i can't wait to see your book when it comes out that's really exciting oh thank you yeah